And there's not agreed definitions of what leadership even is, much less how to do it well. So we really leave our workers sort of on their own to go try to piece it together, maybe observe what they like and other leaders, but don't really necessarily help them connect the dots with a simple framework that can help them really take their capabilities to the next level. Leadership development requires focus by leaders across an organization. On this episode of the Creator Community, we'll learn the impact of that focus and where to begin the leadership journey for all of us. Check out the show. Welcome to the Creator Community. This is a podcast from book publisher at New Degree Presser NDP, powered by Manuscripts, Inc. I'm your host, John Saunders. This show is designed to accelerate, elevate, and showcase many of the incredible authors that have published their books with NDP. In this show, we learn about the authors, their journeys, and their books. This year, NDP will cross over 1,700 published authors on six continents and has earned a spot on the Inc. 5000 list for the second year in a row. This is the fastest growing privately held companies in America. If you've ever thought of writing a book but weren't sure where to start or how to finish, visit manuscripts.com to learn more. This is episode 12 of season six, and today I have with me Matt Pepsel. He is the author of Expand the Circle, which is due out early 2023. Matt is a father, a leadership expert, and the godfather of talent optimization. He has 20 plus years experience as a software product executive and consultant. After serving in the U.S. Marine Corps, he was shocked to learn that most organizations underinvest in leadership development. He's now on a mission to teach leaders to liberate themselves from outdated beliefs and practices. He holds an MBA, a PhD in psychology, and a certificate of management excellence from Harvard Business School, which may explain why his bride thinks he's a huge nerd. Matt, great to see you. Welcome to the show. Great to see you, John. Thanks for having me. Pleasure's all mine. Before we get into the book and learn more about expanding the circle, I think it's always great for listeners to hear about your career dream. What brought you here to this this part of your journey in life? Yeah, I'd say my first adult job was military service, six years in the U.S. Marine Corps. And and I like to say that the Marines gave me two things on my first day of work that most civilian leadership programs don't. One was a shaved head. That part (laughs) kind of stuck with me. But the second was a book of leadership principles from day one, John. Leadership principles. Bang. We got to teach you leadership. And it wasn't until later in my life that I realized why that was. When you look for senior Marine Corps officers, for example, you can't just go put out a job ad on Indeed. You know, you have to develop your people from within. So they took leadership very, very seriously. And I was was very appreciative of it. I never knew that. What? If you had to guess, what percent of organizations do that, Matt? Not many, unfortunately. (laughs) As I quickly found out, I feel like the leadership part is just so critically important. I I got to benefit it firsthand, learning from leaders who are so effective at what they do. I became a leader myself over the preceding years, but uh, it's not something that just happens on its own. You really do have to invest in your people to do it. So when I got out of the military service, then I went to a graduate school and learned all about business and computers. And I went to my first civilian job. And I was ready to continue my leadership development. And they were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> we don't do that here. You're on your own. I thought, oh, man, that's that's unfortunate. So I'm old enough to have had a trunk full of audiobooks that I would just listen to and CDs and things in my car just to try to keep the learning going. And I was really self-starter in that way. And then I would try and fail and succeed in my own leadership assignments from the time I was an individual contributor to managing small teams of people to much larger organizations and just really came to respect leadership. Wow. Going from the book the Marines gave you on day one to your own career journey and really seeing the possibility for this space in the world that's gone unfulfilled, which we'll definitely get to in a couple of minutes here. But I think it's also always interesting to help listeners here 
how you discovered this author coaching program and how did you fit it into your life? Yeah, one of the things that, that was really important to me as I got more experience in my career was being able to document sort of the lessons. I've just always had such a passion for learning about leadership and and I wanted to translate that. So I started writing about leadership on LinkedIn probably about a year ago, maybe more than that by now, about two years ago. And I really just enjoy sharing and being vulnerable and being transparent about what I'm learning, what I'm interested in, what I'm reading. So along the way, I created my own podcast called Lead the People. And I was able to have some guests on the show. And one of the guests came on and he had written a book. And when we were done with the interview like this, I said to him, I said, man, you did a great job writing this book. I think I might want to write a book someday. And he goes, oh, you absolutely can. But if you do, you have to talk to my guy, Eric Custer. And I said, oh, yeah, what's that? And he goes, oh, he runs this thing called Creator Institute. And, and uh, he told me all about it. And so I said, okay, I'll check it out. Well, I talked to him on a Friday, John. Saturday, I went and I, to the website and I took a look at, at this program from Creator Institute. And I was like, Oh, I'm doing this. And I scheduled the first available appointment that Eric Custer had on Monday morning, 9 a.m. I took that doggone time slot and I said, I want into this freaking program. And uh, it all worked out great. So that's how I learned about the program was from one of my podcast guests. That was in February of 2022. And to think about being a published author, not even you know months later, it's just absolutely a dream come true. Mind blowing. Who is that uh, person? Zachary Green. And and how did you fit this thing into your life, Matt? So you're a busy guy. Did you wake up early? Did you stay up late? How did you find time to write? Yeah, a little bit of both. I'm blessed in two ways. One is that my kids are older. You mentioned three kids at the top. They're they're college age now, so that my family life wasn't as demanding as it once was. But even when I got my PhD, I had done that nights and weekends. So I have a lot of of experience in with deadlines and and keeping myself to it. But I like to get up early. That's my best time to write. I found that was definitely the case in the program. I found that at night. I could do research. I couldn't write and I couldn't edit my manuscript, but I could do research at night. And on the weekends, I could really take some time to sit back and really kind of think deeply about my subject matter. So it was a combination of just trying to figure out what my natural energy levels and my cognitive ability at any given time was like, and just trying to build my schedule around that. I love that, you know, sort of deepening journey of self-awareness there. But two, also the fact that the program doesn't force you to write between nine and noon or whatever. You find your style, your way, and, and you certainly are ahead of the curve on that every step of the way. But a way that fit into your life. The cover, first thing people see. Could you talk a little bit about that process and how it all came together for you? Yeah, it was to have some concepts going in, but also work with cover design experts who are, they know exactly the right ratios and, and how to get a, a cover that is a grabber, but at the same time, isn't so it doesn't alienate people. So I think that the combination of their art and science with my own vision for what I, I know the book's about, it was a real great partnership to start working on that. Oh, nice. Well, it's all, it's all coming together and it's fascinating to have this art team. But teams upon teams of people. I mean, I've met so many great people through the program that I didn't realize went into a book. So by the time you talk about a structural editor, a revisions editor, a developmental editor before that, now you got layout, layout editors, you've got all kinds of people, proofreaders, and you're like, oh my gosh, it takes a lot of people to create a, a good book and you know what I hope to be a great book. So it's just been fabulous to, to have all those specialists you know, playing a role in helping this thing be the best that it can be. You know, before I wrote my own book, I don't think I ever read the acknowledgements to any book ever. And it was fascinating to write it myself to say, oh my gosh, I have dozens upon dozens of people to thank you. What was that like for you? It's same. It's it's amazing when you start thinking about the people who obviously in your life had helped you get there, your your family for helping you create space that you need to do this important thing. That there's the teams of people who actually work on the manuscript and the book itself and 
and help you get your message out. Then there's people who support you throughout that are either subject matter experts, maybe the people you interviewed, just endless people. And then as you go into your your marketing campaigns and people are supporting you and helping you fulfill your journey, there's just so many people and it's humbling. It's, you know, I'm honored to have brought this message together, but it's absolutely humbling how much help you need to be able to pull this off. And I feel like I'm the better for it. Yeah, right. We often see this myth of the person going out to the the cottage in the woods for six or 12 months to write their book could be further from reality in terms of this process. So thank you for sharing that. So Matt, expand the circle. What is this book about? Yeah, this is a, a reflection of, of my leadership journey in the sense that I went through my military service. I studied leadership at the PhD level. And yet, even despite all that, I hit a wall in my leadership. It was 2020. So we're in the middle of the pandemic. And I don't think it was 100% related to the pandemic, but I had been at the company that I worked for for years and years. And I really loved the company, but I just kind of fell out of love with the work I was doing. And it was foreign to me. I'm sitting here thinking like, why am I, there's like this super highway of success and I'm like on the service road. It was very frustrating to me to be like, what's happening here? So I started to realize that there's this need that we have to fulfill all of our basic interests when it comes to the work that we do. And so I'm mulling this over in my mind and I knew that I had to make a change. But at the same time, my father, he got a call from his oncologist and he had been diagnosed with having a a tumor on his kidney, cancerous tumor. Mm -hmm. And in the coming months after that, after his diagnosis, he'd go through this lengthy surgery and recovery process. But it really was a wake-up call for me to say, we know how this movie ends. And I started, for the first time, kind of started to think about some of life's bigger questions, those big existential questions. And so what happened for me, I walked over to a bookshelf, to a book that I hadn't touched in 15 years. I pulled out this book and I cracked open its spine. I kind of dusted it off and it was the Tibetan book of living and dying. And it was really important work to me many years ago, but I had forgotten all about it. And basically what it says is two things. One is that we're all going to die. Now, in my defense, I, I suspected as much, but it also says that in order to die well, when the time comes, we have to learn how to live well. And I thought to myself, man, I am not living well. This is, you know, work was just the tip of the iceberg. There was a lot of things that, in my life that I was just like, I just don't quite feel like I'm I'm fully here right now, like getting the success that I've had in the past. It just wasn't happening for me at the, at the moment. So what I did is I started to resume my meditation practice. And I sat in meditation and I'm terrible at meditation. So I'm thinking about work. And I found that there was this Tibetan Buddhist meditation technique that's all about how you expand the circle of compassion by starting with yourself and moving out perhaps to loved ones, maybe a little further out to like your friends, maybe your coworkers, on out into all beings throughout the universe, if you can have such a, a level of, of compassion and skill. And I thought to myself, this is exactly how I've approached my leadership journey. I had to start by learning to lead myself before I could learn to lead others leading entire teams and organizations. And I, on a good day, I spill my leadership out into the world in every interaction that I have, even outside of work. To me, that unlocked, John, this this entire framework of we can take an enlightened leadership approach, I call it now, by expanding that circle if we go through the proper steps to do it. In order to die well, we have to live well. That is a pretty profound statement. And of course, there's no 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 greater certainty in life than death, except for baby taxes, right? But that is fascinating that it was this book that brought you back. It's so interesting where these triggers can kind of come from in our life to help sort of reshape or help us get through a block. And I love that you went back to something you read 15 years ago. 
when you think about the book, Expand the Circle, Matt, who, who are, it's clearly a leadership book, right? Who's going to benefit from picking this up? Yeah, the, the core of the book I've written for leaders, what I say leaders at every level, from the time that I entered civilian life after the Marine Corps, even as an individual contributor, I regarded myself as a leader. I led myself and I led my projects, you know, that that was what I led. Later on, when I became a manager of people, certainly I was very comfortable being a leader in, in that context as well, on into being executive and managing teams of teams of people. So to me, it's the leader who's who's working inside of the organization. That's the primary beneficiary of the book. But I also do include a little bit of content and guidance for people who are trying to develop the leadership capacity in their organization. And in the book, I call this team leaders, for example, who are responsible for developing their team members, as well as executives who want to develop the capacity across all of their team leaders, for example. And then the HR executives as well, who are responsible for developing programs and, and ways to enhance leadership as well. But I'd say the primary focus when I was writing the book was definitely for you know people like myself who are coming up through the ranks as leaders. It's interesting. I love how you sort of expand the circle on this group of people, because if it's just one person in the company adopting that, as opposed to maybe the head of HR or senior leaders, it's not going to get terribly far, right? So it really needs to permeate the, the organization in many ways. And I love that you've thought through it in that context. Yeah. And I think that the opportunity is really, it's all about interaction and exchange. And so if you have multiple people who are all working on their own individual path of, of reaching their next level as leaders, it creates this sort of exponential effect, this interactive effect. So that's why I love so much about leadership development programs because everybody can kind of go through some sort of positive exchange together at the same time, which is nice. You know, and doing it as a, a, a group, right? That's when we get things done. When there's more than one person involved and we get that that group buy-in. You know, one of the key themes you you talk about in the book is how the world of work has changed, Matt. From your vantage point, what, what are the highlights there? Yeah, even in the course of my career, it was already changing well before the pandemic, which was obviously one of the biggest uh, right right turn changes that we had had experienced. In the sense that you know, with the advent of the internet and technology and communication, work became much more collaborative. So now we see that team based work is a very interesting type of work in organizations today. It moves very fast. The pace seems breakneck at times. That was all happening well before 2020. During the pandemic, what happened was it is an acceleration of remote and hybrid work formats. That was a big, big change. And that led people to start to also reprioritize their personal values and really ask what's important to me from my work or surrounding my work. And I, so I, I, when I started to think about this, I looked at, at work itself as having evolved from you know, in, in prehistoric times all the way through agrarian societies, et cetera. And we went, made all the way to modern work in terms of what we ask our workers to do. But what was fascinating to me is the the nature of the changes that take place within us as the workers. You know, you find that you're you're not out trying to scavenge for food so much these days, but it's created this this in in meeting my higher order needs. And for workers, I, I like to say that it really comes down to the three killer bees, if you will, being, belonging, and something bigger than myself. These are three needs that often go unspoken, but they're so important. And the reason I call them killer bees is because when we don't meet those needs, it kills our productivity, our performance, our intent to stay. All these terrible things can happen if we don't meet those, what I would call higher order needs. Employers do not always get this. And so we're out talking about work and saying, isn't it great that we have you know, paid lunches or that you have a little bit of work time flexibility? And workers are like, we want more. We want more. We've evolved to the point and, and the pandemic has shown us 
that we want more from our work. And our entire relationship with work itself has changed. And that's why it creates this real gap. What happened when I started to think about this is leadership itself has also evolved. And so we went from very transactional styles of authoritarian type leadership all the way through more recently transformational leadership or even a servant leadership and authentic leadership approaches. But there was still a gap that I was seeing relative to how work has changed and how the worker has changed. And that's the opportunity, ironically, that I refer to as enlightened leadership. Even though enlightened principles may have come out around 2,500 years ago, I find that we can incorporate them and draw inspiration from them in our modern workplace. No matter how the world changes, there's still some core things that drive all of us, right? And I love this concept you have of the killer bees being belonging and something bigger to help us think like, yeah, free lunch is great. Or, you know, getting out early on Fridays in the after in the summertime, awesome. But if I don't feel like I belong here and I'm part of this thing, why am I here? I, I'll never forget as a, many years as a leader on Wall Street, seeing some of the greatest, I'll say, feedback I got from team members was actually giving them more work to do. But it was work that they were extremely passionate about and allowed them to share and showcase themselves. And it was actually extra work on their plate, and yet they were inspired to do it, which is hard to believe, but it made them feel much more belonging and connecting to what we're doing. So leadership approaches today, Matt, you know, what are people missing, you think? What's the gap here? I think what's amazing is when you look back at, at some of the tra- changes or transitions, the transformations happening today, you start to see that the most advanced forms of business could be seen as almost, I don't want to say selfless, but but really starting to look at stakeholders outside of the organization itself solely. So when you think about like B corporations, which are certified statements about being transparent and and really trying to serve diverse stakeholders, or when you look at corporate social responsibility or environmental and sustainability and governance, these types of things are are almost like saying that it's not enough for businesses to generate a profit. We also have to care for stakeholders in our in our community and and in our environment and beyond. So there's this selfless form of governance and of business that's taken place. We just talked about the killer bees and these this higher order, these selfless type needs that people experience. Where's the equivalent for leadership? And when I looked, I couldn't find one. And that's what really said to me that there's this opportunity to move beyond our own self-interest, which typically is uh, limiting, and start to recognize that places for compassion and mindfulness and wisdom, all these ancient inspired traditions are really necessary today in a form of leadership if we're going to match the evolution of our work and if we're going to match the evolution of our workers. Literally in just the last couple of weeks, as I was going through the holiday season, catching up with some old friends that have worked in their careers for many, many years, both expressed extreme frustration. They felt their leaders, their boss was purely managing up and working to serve themselves and really wasn't too worried about them or doing any kind of coaching or guidance. And it was fascinating to hear that from what I think are two very thoughtful people who have contributed immensely to their companies. And yeah, they're sticking around because they get paid pretty well, but the frustration level that brings about is extraordinary. To what degree does that tie with your inspiration or your why behind this book? Yeah, I think that a lot of times if leaders come from a place of of self-interest, it's because of either fear or it's because of scarcity. There's a lot of things that I found in my research that would lead us away from more of an enlightened leadership approach. Fear that I won't get the results. If I'm nice to people, if I'm decent to them, then they're not going to put up the performance numbers that I need. And it turns out not to be true. The reality is that in, in this example that you had shared if the if the leader is in a position where they make room for the other person to see themselves as you mentioned on your your earlier example about giving people more work that's meaningful 
like the results are going to take care of themselves. But if you come at it from a completely me place or a self-interest place, it actually downgrades or, or reduces the enlightened leadership capacity that otherwise is is available to us. And I think that it absolutely affects belonging. Right now, I feel alienated from my boss because they're all in it for themselves. It, it erodes away that that sense of, of something bigger than myself because I'm like, is it really worth it? Because when they can get the same money somewhere else with somebody who's going to care about them and be more about the team win, they're going to do that eventually. And it, it's too, too devastating otherwise. Think about what's happening in your example. Uh, sharing their frustration with you at a holiday party is one thing, but they still have to go home to their family every day after a tough day at work with an egocentric boss. They're still going to be out in their community. They're still going to get cut off in traffic someday. Like all these things are downstream effects of poor leadership in that example at work. And it's totally avoidable, but it takes a higher level of awareness and a more skillful approach. And where in your career have you seen that play out? Everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. And I find that for myself as an example, I'll put myself on the table here and say that when I am at my best, then I'm leading from two different perspectives. One is I'm outside in, in terms of my aspiration. That means that I'm interested in the team success, right? the mission, if you will, as well as the wellness and the welfare of the others. And from an action perspective, I work from the inside out. What can I do about the situation? What can I do to manage the circumstances? In those times when I have honored that sort of perspective, then leadership flows very naturally from me and the results take care of themselves and people's welfare, they benefit as a result. If anything happens and all of a sudden I'm more fearful or if I tend to, to be more me-centric, it absolutely wrecks my leadership, right? And it waters down my effectiveness and it frustrates people in the process. It took me a long time to learn that because people don't just teach you these things as you're in business school or as you're in the working world. They don't even necessarily see these connections. Like there's a, generally a low level awareness among leaders about how these things really play out. It's something that is so universal. It shows up in all of our interactions. I see it time and again in my work with organizations and certainly in my own life. It's something that once you start seeing it, then you just see it everywhere. So interesting, this theme, this thread you're talking about, which is we, you know, your first day in the Marines, they gave you this book on leadership, and you've never seen that practice again. And throughout your, you know, many years in the workforce and in leadership and leadership training. And this this thread of, you know, just not this lack of awareness around this, you know, what is it that's holding leaders back at? What is it keeping them from reaching this potential that that seems not that far out of reach? I think even the word leadership is somewhat charged. If you walk into a room of people and you say, How many of you consider yourselves to be leaders? You would be surprised, but not every hand's going to go up. It almost feels braggadocio almost to say, oh, I'm a leader, you know, <laughs> stand up in front of mixed company and say, I'm a leader here in this organization. So I think there's even some almost a stigma to, to leadership in that regard. So one thing, that's one. The other is that it's very confusing. If you do a Google search about leadership, you get like 10 million results, of course. And there's not agreed definitions of what leadership even is, much less how to do it well. So we really leave our workers sort of on their own to go try to piece it together, maybe observe what they like and other leaders, but don't really necessarily help them connect the dots with a simple framework that can help them really take their capabilities to the next level. The other thing I think is really hard for leaders, what holds us back is life. When you start recognizing that at some point, you know, something's going to happen in your life that either a, a character flaw of yours is going to surface. Something's going to change on you. These things force us not to be at our best. 
And I think a more of, of an enlightened approach, one of the things that I teach right after self-awareness is self-acceptance and being able to understand and even incorporate some of your shortcomings. And uh, that's something that we don't teach leaders every day. So uh, I think there's a lot that holds us back. We have this, this idea that we have to be the perfect leader or everyone's looking at us in a certain way, or people will think, uh, you know, think of me differently if I try to act like I'm a leader. There's a lot that goes into it. There's so many things holding us back. There's clearly not a comprehensive roadmap there to help us think through these many levels of it, which you've so thoughtfully brought to the marketplace here. You know, Matt, if I'm that leader and I'm listening to this interview and thinking, man, what is this guy even talking about? You know, where where do I start with this stuff? Yeah, when in my framework, when I talk about leading from the inside out and I talk about lead yourself, I think self-awareness is the absolute best place you have to start. And it's really about trying to understand what's important to you. What are your values? These are great examples. What are situations when you felt like at your most natural and authentic type self? You know, these are the these are the types of places where you can start. When you start moving into starting to lead others, you start thinking about things like empathy. Do I take the time to really care about what other people might be experiencing at work and what role I might play in helping you know, sort of evolve or modify the circumstances in which they're doing their work? That's something a team leader can do, but only if they have that that level of empathy. You know, and, and moving on into teams where you start talking about cooperation. What are the times and the circumstances that lead people to not be cooperative with one another? And what can I do to encourage cooperation and, and team commitment? So, and on and on. And it's it's really, there's a, a very prescribed set of things that I include in the book, as well as an assessment and exercises and ways to, to not make it totally philosophical, but to really make it a practical hands-on, something I can actually do in order to develop my enlightened leadership capacity. You know, you talked about a number of things there in terms of expanding the circle. And I love these layers that you walk through and how you think about this. You know, one of my favorite exercises I learned about from Dr. Thomas Tomas Chimuro Pramuzak was if you're sort of lost as a leader, and maybe you don't even know, but just thinking, gosh, I'm not having the impact I want. He said, go Google, go into Google and type in my manager is and see what auto populates. Spoiler alert, they're all terrible. Right. And you talked a minute ago about there about how I might thinking about how I might be impacting others and those around me in the workplace. For someone who is maybe lacking self-awareness, how do you start to break through and say, and even ask yourself that question? Because it can be a difficult one to answer. What would you encourage someone to think about there? Yeah, difficult but essential. And I think that finding a way to even raise the topic, like let's say that I lead a small team of three people. I'm a first level manager, haven't been doing this a long time. I can very easily create an environment of sharing. If I've created enough psychological safety and trust, I might do it openly. I could do it anonymously. If, if, it's, if it's not conditions I've created yet, I can make myself vulnerable and say, look, I don't think that I'm fully where I want to be yet as a leader, but I need your guidance to help me understand what I'm doing well, what I could be doing better, you know, these types of things. It, it really starts with some level of awareness but also some level of aspiration. And, and I think being public about your, you know, we're all on a leadership journey. None of us are done as leaders. So I think being clear about that and transparent about that is a, is a very helpful thing. And you also set the example because what you really want is everybody else who's on your team to go through a similar recognition and a similar journey of saying, hey, I'm not where I want to be either. Maybe my boss will return the favor for me and give me some, some ideas about what I could be doing better as well. Start with yourself, start with leading yourself and expand the circle out to help your team and others around you in the organization. But it all starts with self-awareness and, and self-acceptance, which isn't always easy, right? We don't always love the fact that we're flawed. One, saying it out loud and recognizing that. How, how have you helped people go through that journey? 
Yeah, I think it's really a, a challenging thing, as you pointed out. It's, it doesn't feel good at first. It does get easier as you do it more over time. But I think that recognizing the fact that we all go through our crucibles in life, we all have had experiences, nobody's had a perfect set of circumstances, but I think learning how to incorporate those in and really toward the challenges instead of trying to turn away from them. One thing I see right now more than I've ever seen before is just the amount of change that we're going through in terms of our organizations. And change can be very unsettling for people. I think that's an area where awareness goes up when you're like, during times of change, how do you feel? How do you react? And I think that's a, another example. Self-acceptance is one of those things where, tell me about it. There was a change that you thought wasn't going to go well, but turned out to be okay. And people are like, okay, yeah, I can I can work on that as well. So, You know, so many people are wrestling with change out there, right? COVID didn't cause all these problems in the world. I think I would argue it revealed them, right? They already existed, but it just kind of accelerated the path. What would you say to somebody who's dealing with change right now, who's sort of thinking, gosh, this isn't working. It's not getting me to where I want to be. What would you tell that person? I think it starts with the recognition that everything changes, you know, and, and our interest in controlling things and keeping things kind of frozen in time is not only does it not work, it actually is, it's, it's not the natural order of things. And it's one of those examples of self-interest. So it's like when, when we think about when something changes at work, we're like, oh, if I take pride, for example, in doing high quality work and something now is changing, maybe there's a new computer system we're installing, all of a sudden that becomes a threat to that part of my identity. And that's a threat to my ability to do that high quality error free work. And so I'm seeing this change as nothing but bad. The people who decided to implement the new computer system because they want either cost savings or some other upside benefit, they don't know what I'm going through and how that's going to land with me personally. How many times have we seen change initiatives and organizations fail? This is why, because it's inherently a human endeavor. So if you're the leader and change is being foisted upon you, Starting to find that mindfulness, a little bit of that calm, a little bit of attention to the, the deeper part of yourself that doesn't feel so uh, reactive and so threatened can be a very helpful practice. If you're the leader and you're inviting change, being empathetic about the change, being cooperative and, and understanding and trying to figure out how communication can be at its highest, those are things you can do as well. So I feel like everybody has an opportunity to do a better job when it comes to change management for sure. It's a human endeavor. I love that thought because it's never going to go away. And we forget sometimes that, yeah, it's going to save us money to implement this new software, what have you. But at the end of the day, it's still challenging people and, and forcing them to do new things. And I really appreciate that you tied it to their identity because, hey, I'm a, I deliver this excellent work all the time. Now I have to spend weeks studying this new thing and learning how to use it. I want to push you one more time on a, on a question around this idea of empathy. You've mentioned it a few times. What does empathy look like? Sometimes that sounds like a soft and mushy thing and you know that doesn't belong in the workplace. What does that look like to you? Yeah, I, th I think it's important to point out that as humans, you know, we're wired to be empathetic. We're wired to pick up on social cues and to understand people who might be in distress and and to connect with them in in a very social kind of way. We override those things sometimes because we get focused on either my busy schedule or my own goals and I'm turning down the volume on on what you're broadcasting because I'm so fixated on what I am. And I feel like empathy in the workplace, what we find in the research is that people with empathetic managers are much higher in terms of their willingness to stay and, and the levels of creativity they have and the safety that they feel. It's only good things come of having empathy in the form of coming out of our, our leaders. So it's not a soft thing at all. And I know it, it can be perceived that way sometimes, but the reality is that empathy is this willingness to inquire, to estimate what other people might be experiencing. In the example of the change management that we were just talking about, new computer system, 
it's being empathetic and, and understanding that not everybody's going to be excited about every change. And that's just the beginning of a way to connect with people at a different level. I love this idea of empathy and, and appreciating this identity threat, because that is something I think that goes very underappreciated in the world of leadership today, because we all have our sandboxes, right? And change impacts that sandbox. And if you don't appreciate the fact that someone else is going to react to that in some way, shape or form, you're starting out of the gate, climbing uphill, right? So many great lessons, so many great stories in expanding the circle. You know, Matt, as you went about writing this book, what, what surprised you about the process of bringing this book from idea to published? I was surprised at how much I learned about leadership, just having a chance to go back and think about the topic in a thorough way and, and refreshing myself on all the great work that's been done by so many amazing people, whether they be authors and different podcast interviews and all kinds of great stuff. I, there's, It's a very rich space. And I feel like having gone through and, and created an organizing framework for it, I just really enjoyed the process. I didn't expect to enjoy it as much. That's one thing that surprised me. But the other was that how I now believe that fear absolutely destroys anything good in terms of relationships and organizations. It's amazing to me how fear really forces us to go back to a place of self-interest because of survival mode. We're wired for survival mode, but it absolutely is almost, you can think of it as the antithesis of leadership. I don't know that it's possible to feel tremendous amounts of personal fear and be in that me place and be an effective leader. And I think during times of change, when we're trying to put up the number from a sales perspective, but we're behind, when any number of things, new competitive threat in the market, any number of things can really lead to that sort of fear response, but it it, it doesn't turn out well. So I had not expected to see fear show up as prevalently as did at each of the layers of my framework. And, and the antidote to fear is not courage, it's love. And it's really about a willingness to connect with deeply another individual and teams and care about the mission and everything but yourself. And I think that that selfless type approach doesn't mean that you're not going to have personal success as a leader, as much as some might fear that it won't happen if I don't make sure that I'm taken care of. Um, but in fact, proper leadership, I don't believe, can be had from a purely a, a me place. Relationships inside of a professional environment are very fragile, right? And, and fear is, is always there. And until we create that safe environment, as you talked about earlier, right, it's going to create challenges for us to, to get past them. And I really appreciate how much you recognize this as you went throughout the journey and that you learned along the way, right? So many people come into books thinking, oh, I'm going to write this book about leadership and I have my all my ideas worked out. And then throughout the process, you learn so much more. So speaking of learning that, what do you think you learned about yourself? You've sounds like you've learned so much throughout your journey along the way, but in just the last 12 or 14 months as you went through the book, you know, what did you learn about yourself along the way? One of the more basic things is that I had considered myself to be a pretty good writer before, but I'm so much better having gone through this process and gone through this program. There's just a way to write and a way to get your ideas across and a way to structure a book. That was really pretty interesting for me. But I think also the same sort of challenges that sometimes we come in with, whether it be imposter syndrome or being an insecure overachiever or having being racked with self-doubt, the sort of roller coaster that you go on and the the fear that you have about people aren't going to like this idea or to make yourself vulnerable by asking for help, like if you need support in some way. It was really mirrored back to me, everything I was writing about. 
which is that whenever I come at a place where let's say I'm going to write something on social media and talk about the book, if I write it from a me place and I'm trying to get numbers or I'm trying to you know foist my own agenda, it absolutely destroys my art. There's no, nothing good ever comes of that. But when I ask myself differently, like, what did leaders need to hear? What is it that I needed when I was in their situation? What can I do to inspire and reach people and maybe encourage them to sort of pick up their leadership journey in a way that they were feeling a little burned out and frustrated before? When I create from that space, that selfless space, I work from the outside in in terms of my aspiration, it goes so much better. So I feel like the journey of growth that I went through was that to me, leadership shows up everywhere. It's it's just a fundamental human endeavor. It's all about collective people working together towards a common goal. And I feel like there's so many domains of life where that's the case. We need leadership to help us reach our next level and to help us change this world for the better. And, and it's that level of self-interest that really competes with that, that is a fundamental issue. I really appreciate this thinking you have on we're all leaders. We all need to start thinking more differently about how we engage and empathize with each other. But you talked about becoming a better leader along the way. And I and then you mentioned the social media post and how you reframed it around how can I help others or serve others versus sort of get my self-interest across. And I wonder if part of becoming a better writer wasn't also part of becoming a, a a better way to think about your messaging and how you can really help others. Is there a connection here? Oh, I think definitely. I, I feel like you know, one of the missions that I have now is to, I, you, you talked about a little bit earlier, how do I teach leaders how to liberate themselves from these outdated beliefs and these outdated practices? And there's so much misinformation we provide and so much delusion that we fuel in terms of just our normal approach to things. We look at businesses as if it's totally a technical endeavor. We teach our leaders operations. We teach them all about the productivity metrics, and we don't teach them how to be human. They already know how to be human, but they cover that stuff up with, oh, well, to be in business, I have to be serious and technical and all these things. It's actually taking them further away from proper leadership than, than closer to it. And I feel like that that's definitely something that I saw. So whether we're talking about writing, whether we're talking about connecting, just even checking in on somebody, hey, how are you doing today? One of my very favorite questions of all, what's your favorite thing about your job? When's the last time you asked that to a coworker? But when you ask that question, what's your favorite thing about your job? Then, oh, geez, I hadn't really thought about that. Well, I guess I like the fact that I get to work with customers every day and I just love helping them. You've left them with such a better outlook on their own job and their own day. They're going to take that home with them and you just lighten the load just a little bit. And I think that's an act of leadership. And you don't have to be the CEO to walk around asking that question to people. So that's that's kind of how I look at it is that, Every conversation, every interaction is a leadership opportunity. And if we're going to take advantage of it, then I think working from that outside in place about you know, taking an interest in their conditions of their life, their goals and what they're working on, how they're contributing to something bigger than themselves, that's a much, much more fruitful to start from than all the me issues. What I really, really find fascinating and, and so useful about this whole story, Matt, is that any one of these things aren't enormous steps that you're offering here, right? But it's this comprehensive roadmap that will take a number of steps to get through, but none of them are big leaps, which I think makes it much more accessible for all of us. So I really appreciate the mindset you've taken to this whole philosophy you put together around expanding the circle. And how much energy does it take to ask someone what's your favorite part about your job? Takes virtually none, right? And, and yet you bring all this positivity into the, their day and, and your relationship. Speaking of positivity, Matt, I know you've had so many interesting experiences along the way, but what's been an unexpected positive for you in, in this journey? I think we'll just a chance to meet incredible people. 
you know, I had the good fortune to have a, a pretty extensive network before leaders who I respect and definitely wanted to interview for the book. And I would always ask, you know, like, who else should I talk to about this project, this approach, this mindset? And I got to meet so many great folks in that that way. The research that I did, I made great relationships with some of the people, the experts who had gone before me and contributed great works that I cited in my own book. And I, I think just the since I've had the chance to talk about the book, just new connections with people who are like, I'm on my journey. And there's something that you said, or I believe in what you're talking about, whether it be compassion or empathy or anything like this. And the the the, the nature of the connections has just been amazing. That is so cool. You've expanded your circle yet again, uh, have, but your professional network. So for those that go out and buy your book, which will be available early 2023, expand the circle. Matt, what can readers expect to take away? What's the what's the message you think they'll hear or you hope they hear? Yeah, I hope you find a, a nice blend of of timeless principles as well as modern techniques and, and situations. It's a, a well-researched book. I've got more than 100 articles and, and journal citations from real psychology research based on my background. But there's also this nature of of this ancient inspiration of of wisdom, and it's a it's, it's a unique mix. But I think it's exactly what we need right now. In terms of the reader, I think going through and being able to understand the framework is is important. But then immediately getting to a self assessment to be able to find out like where am I already doing a great job for the most part, and where do I need to focus because you know we all have limited time and energy. So getting really surgical about what I want to work on next along with the exercises to help you actually make meaningful progress. One thing I always hear from leaders are like, I don't know if I'm doing it right. I don't know if I'm getting any better. I don't know how to apply these things. And that totally changes when you have exercises and a pathway that's been lit for you that you're like, okay, I need to work on cooperation. I got a very specific exercise here. I know exactly how I'm going to do it. And once you're done, you're like, okay, great. I actually you know, move the ball forward when it comes to that dimension. How often do we get that as leaders in our normal work? We don't. So I think it's a very practical book as well as an inspiring book. And and I hope it just reaches people who are, are anxious to reach their next level and, and bring better outcomes to the people around them, to their business results and, and out into the world. Building a step-by-step program to expanding your circle, starting from within, moving to all those around you, and ultimately driving better results and making everyone's day a better place. We all have the challenges that we face and really giving us a, a better day tomorrow. Speaking of tomorrow, Matt, what's next for you? What are some of your goals with the book? Yeah, just I think really spreading the word and letting people know that it's available. I hope that it finds the 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 readers who can benefit from it. That's a big part of it. And really after that, it's just listening and saying, how can I help? You know, this is part of my mission is to put things out there. I'll give you an example. I had a playlist that I had created with songs that were inspired by the themes from the book. If people love that type of thing, that's great. I'll be creating meditation tracks for people who are into mindfulness and want to kind of blend their interest in mindfulness along with leadership capabilities in a way that's not really been done before. I think that that's kind of fun. So I'll be working really hard to make sure people are aware of it and then that I'm able to respond to whatever they might like next. That's awesome. And you have a, a couple of talks coming up, do you not? I've got a couple of talks just to really elaborate on the framework and help people operationalize it. It's a combination of motivation and, and how to. Yeah. That is fantastic. And Matt, if people want to learn more about you and expand the circle, where where might they go? Yeah, mattpepsel.com slash circle is where you can find all about the book and, and certainly about myself. And I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So I encourage listeners to connect with me on LinkedIn and I'd love to answer any questions that you have. Pepsel, P-O-E-P-S-E-L, for those who might not know. And I did want to share one quick praise quote, an early praise quote you got for our listeners out there about the book from Centauri. They said, it's exactly what leaders need, especially leaders who want to grow and elevate their teams. 
need need right now. Would that feel to get that quote from Centauri? Yeah, it's fabulous. I, I feel like it meant that I had articulated what I was seeing and hearing in a way that that you know made it through. <laughs> and I think that that's really important. And I agree 100%. I feel like there are unique conditions that we've all been through and that has brought us to this moment. And I think that rather than uh, try to pretend like we don't need to bring our humanity into the workplace, I think we need these ancient techniques that taught us how to connect with our humanity a long time ago as a way to complement and balance sort of our, our, what I would call a Western approach, a technology first approach to immediate and now. And and so I feel like this is a, a very timely uh, response to what leadership needs to evolve into. I call it the next era of leadership. And so hearing that quote, you know, really, really made me feel like I wasn't the only one who who saw it as a base of, basis of what I had written. So rewarding to hear this kind of feedback about our books. And so I'd encourage anyone out there to go get Matt's book and write a review for him on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you like to get your books, because his book is going to be available Q1 2023, Expand the Circle and Light Leadership for Our New World of Work. Matt, great to see you. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story with the creator community. Thank you for the opportunity, John. I really appreciate it. Pleasure is all mine. Don't forget to subscribe to the Creator Community channel on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. If you're ready to write your book, visit manuscripts.com and learn how to turn your idea into a book in about one year. I'm your host of the Creator Community, John Saunders. Keep creating.